the Messiah. Uh, we're following on a little bit from that this morning by looking at the whole subject of the anointing, uh, which Isaiah talks about in his, uh, in his book several times. And so what I'm going to do is going to give you a sort of an explanation of what I believe it means to be anointed. And then we're going to take a look at what Isaiah says about the anointing. Uh, then I want to share with you how we thought uh, that, that I really was challenged by over the whole of lockdown. Uh, sorry, at the end of lockdown uh, and that. So I just really want to do that this morning as we come to, to his word. It's great that the church is together. Uh, we're delighted that you are here and we get to do this not once but twice but three times. Keep praying for the worship team because they have to suffer this three times uh, on the morning. But they're okay with it, aren't you? No, okay. I... <laughs> there we go. Let's give a brief introduction to what it means to anoint. Uh, and the Old Testament, um, God gave instructions uh, for certain things to be set apart. And for those to be set apart, they needed to have a, a sacred anointing oil applied to them. And there was a, a recipe, for want of a better word, that was given in the law that to make up the anointing oil. And, and this was to be put onto things like the, the tabernacle, the ark, the table, uh, the utensils, the lampstand, um, all of those things that were of special use in, in worship. And sp I suppose you could sum up the meaning of it in the, the Old Testament as something that was set apart uh, for special use. Um, there were also people as well who were anointed prophets, priests and kings in the Old Testament were often literally anointed with oil that was set apart for a special service. For example, priests were anointed for their special service to the Lord. Exodus 28 verse 41 says, after you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint and ordain them, consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. So you can see there what God's, God's instructions were for those who were to be the priests, uh, to anoint them, uh, which was to be set apart especially, uh, to ordain them, which was a special function and then to consecrate them so they were sort of away from the the people because they were the priests and so they were to be anointed with oil so literal oil would be applied but as a sign of the holy spirit upon their lives and service even in the old testament the oil on the head was only the outward representation of the real spiritual work going on inside of them uh, so that's clear that we see from those that were set apart uh, to be the prophets, priests, kings, special people of use by God. But what was done on the outside was uh, basically an inward representation of what the Spirit was doing upon their life. And God's blessings would always come upon his people when the anointed ones were faithful in their functions. They were simply given something to do. They were to remain faithful, upright, and moral. So throughout the Old Testament, we see that God commanded various people to be anointed as a symbol of his calling. The prophet Samuel anointed Saul with olive oil, gave him the promise, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy. Samuel anointed David with a similar result when he says, from this day on, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. 
So in these examples, Saul and David being anointed as king of Israel, we see that, that work of the Spirit, the Spirit comes upon them because it's setting them apart for a special work that God has them uh, to do. So this reason, the oil or the anointing is seen as a representative of the Holy Spirit. So it always didn't always involve a literal uh, pouring of oil. The term anointed is also used in the Bible to describe somebody God chose for a special task. But as we move to the New Testament, what do we mean? But in the New Testament, well, as Christians under the new covenant, which is us this morning, we also have an anointing. In the New Testament sense, anointing has the idea of being filled with and blessed by the Holy Spirit. The clearest verse is in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. We can see clearly there that those who are under the new covenant, the new testament, which is us, we have been anointed. Uh, John confirms it when he says, 1 John 2 verse 20 says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. I take from this that there was something here that is the common property of all Christians, something we can and should become more submitted and responsive to, which is the work and the blessing of the Spirit and His power inside of us in our lives. It has often crept into churches that a stranger, that the stranger a person behaves sometimes, the more filled with the Spirit they must be. The idea in the New Testament of anointing is not one that causes people to do weird, strange things as though the Holy Spirit is touching them, or this, that it draws attention to themselves. It says there is no such thing in the Bible, in a sense, as coming under the anointing, or as if it's floating about above them, or catching the anointing as it passes by. The Holy Spirit is, is within us. His power works within us. Even the Holy Spirit himself diverts attention away from himself to glorify Jesus and worship Jesus. If the Holy Spirit does that when he is under the anointing, that's what we must do when we are under the anointing as well and move away from this idea of it drawing attention to ourselves when we sense we're being filled with the Spirit or we sense that something is happening. And so that's what I believe to be the, the anointing. The anointing summed up really then is the person who is filled and blessed by the Holy Spirit. We will see as we go on this morning that there is a purpose to the anointing. The anointing is not just about making me feel good. The anointing is not just about me having some sort of sensation within myself. The anointing has a purpose, not just to be filled and blessed by the Holy Spirit, but it's clear from what Isaiah writes as we look at that the anointing then, as we read in the words, and now it brings a power to mend broken hearts, resurrect dead marriages, restore broken homes, it causes barren wounds to bring forth life, it brings immovable walls tumbling down, it gathers the wandering to the cross, it lifts every burden and it destroys every yoke. That's the purpose of the anointing, not necessarily just to make me feel good and tingly maybe when I come into church. 
And so Isaiah comes this morning and he says this in Isaiah 10, verse 27, when he says, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden, excuse me, will be taken from your shoulder and the yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. We've got to remember that Israel has already been invaded. Judah is about to get invaded. And this is a promise that Isaiah brings to Hezekiah, who's the king of Judah at the time. Now, Hezekiah's father, King Ahaz, had ignored God's counsel and trusted in Assyria as their deliverer rather than God. And now everything they are going through is because they didn't trust God. So King Zenacherib of Assyria simply has his sights set on Judah. He captured the cities, he demanded exorbitant tributes, and mocked the God that they served. There were three confrontations that happened in here, in Isaiah. This helps us to understand why we must never compromise our faith and compromise our stand. Because if you compromise once, it's easier to do it the second time because people will come back and ask you to compromise a second time, a third time, and so on. As a church and as believers, we must take a stand. And here in this situation, there were three confrontations. The first one is this. It finds King Zenacherib attacking and capturing the fortified cities of Judah. From the position of strength, he simply asks for a tribute. He says to Hezekiah, give me your money or we'll destroy you. Now, there wasn't enough money that they could give. Hezekiah goes to stripping the very gold from the temple to pay the tribute that he has to give to Zenacherib so the people aren't destroyed. After a while, there's another confrontation. Zenacherib sends messengers and a great army who are met by Hezekiah's representatives. They're not content with the first payment. The officials again threaten to take the city, attempt to undermine the morale of the people by simply questioning their trust in God to deliver them. They simply mocked Hezekiah and mocked the faithful remnant who were putting their trust in God. Where is your God now? Why hasn't he rescued you? Why hasn't he delivered you? You would be far better putting your trust in me. Now pay me the money. Give me the money that you owe me. In the final confrontation, Zenacherib sends his threatening letter to Hezekiah, simply urging him to surrender. The Lord would be powerless to save Jerusalem, he put in the letter, because the gods of other nations had failed to deliver them. He claims that it is God rather than Hezekiah who seeks to deceive the people. At this point, Hezekiah does what the only thing that he possibly can do. He goes to the temple and he begins to cry out to God. And he prays this beautiful prayer that simply says, God, we, we were wrong to trust in Judah. and So we were wrong to trust in Assyria and Sennacherib. We now to turn and put our trust in you. At that point, Isaiah, the messenger, comes to Hezekiah and he prophesies a message of these verses. He simply says that there is coming a day when the burden will be taken away from his shoulder and the yoke from your neck, that yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing, because there is a faithful remnant that has been set apart by God who have remained faithful all the way through uh, this catastrophe that has happened to the nations. God is simply honoring his anointing, 
his word and his promise in this verse. You see, the previous verses had spoken about God's judgments against disobedient people. So they'll never be totally destroyed because there was always some people who remained faithful. It teaches us in Isaiah that it doesn't matter what everybody else does. We're only responsible for what we do. If everybody else turns around and says, this is okay as a Christian, that doesn't matter. God will only ask me uh, what I am responsible for, what I am accountable for. We see that here when there was a faithful remnant that is left behind. And so Isaiah simply encourages them not to fear the Assyrians because he would deliver the faithful as he did under Moses and Gideon. And if you go back to 2 Kings 19, verse 35 to 37, and God remember when we read the Old Testament, though a lot of you will know this, it's not always written chronologically, the day after day. You have to read some of Isaiah to find the story in Kings and things like that. But we go back and we read this and we see that night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all, there were all the dead bodies. So Zenacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day while he was worshipping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Andramalek, and Shahirez killed him with the sword. He was the one that mocked God. He paid for mocking God. God kept his promise by destroying the Assyrians on that night, 185,000 of them um, dead by the next morning. It's a whole other sermon in itself, in a sense. But as he ends his life there, he's worshipping in the temple of his God, who can't save him when his sons come in. But this verse in Isaiah teaches us, it, it teaches us about the anointing, anointing that will break the yoke. And you see, it breaks the yoke here simply because the burden that was removed from them was the obligation that they needed to pay uh, King Sennacherib. That was removed. The yoke was then broken because it was under orders to be taken away simply because the power of the anointing. You know, the greatest burden of bondage in human history is sin. Heaviest yoke that people wear is that guilt that they carry around their necks because of the sin. You know, later on in Isaiah 61, and we read it last week, we read uh, of, of the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, is anointed me. And we said that this was the verses that Jesus spoke in the temple as he goes out to preach. And he says these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's Favor. We see here that Jesus is anointed. You know, the devil is the enemy of our souls. He set his sights on us. He wears us down with burdens and lays heavy yokes across our necks to steal, kill, and destroy us. Everybody faces that at some point in their walk with God. And you see, it's because of the anointing, because he still lifts the burdens and breaks the yoke, because as I shared last week, sin brings poverty. He will preach good news to the poor. Sin breaks hearts. He will heal the brokenhearted. Sin makes captives. He will proclaim 
gave freedom to the captives. Because sin oppresses, he will become the favor of the Lord. And all of this is because of the anointing. All of this is because of the anointing, the power of the Spirit at work that does this in people's lives. And you see, I thought about this, and this is so true, that deep and lasting transformation of what Jesus does in our lives leads to deep and lasting joy. That when we become Christians, it's not a case of lifting our hand in the air. He removes the burdens from us. He sets us free. He takes us from the darkness into the light. He says that's what it means to be under the anointing. You see, and, and the challenge that comes to us as a church is really this. And over lockdown, I, I was watching a video uh, of a preacher uh, called Christine Kane. And she spoke about this word, the anointing. And the word just has weighed heavy on my heart for, for weeks now. It's possibly six, seven weeks. And I've shared it with some people because she shared this thought, it's so true, that our churches are still full of people in bondage who feel captives, who feel as though they were prisoners. They feel as though they're still carrying the same burdens and yokes upon them that they did when they first came into the church. And, and, and this preacher, she, she simply said these four things that stood out for me. She said, churches are full of gifted people, and, and so they should be. People offering their gifts and bringing their gifts. But she compared the gifting with the anointing. And she says this, she says, a gift will fill a room. But we all love to, to hear something great. We all love to, to watch something that says, that lifted my heart. And people expressing their gifts. And a gift will fill a room and a gift will entertain a crowd. And a gift will stir people up. And you know, and even in churches, we've got to the point where we check who's preaching and who's leading worship. And that is a decision on whether to go. Why? Because we're basing everything on gifting. And what Isaiah teaches me through Isaiah chapter 10, through what it says in 61, and when Jesus stands up, he says, listen, gifting is good. It's helpful. But the anointing is essential because it's anointing that lifts the burden and breaks the yoke and does all the stuff that God wants to do in people's lives. So when people come in through the doors of this church, it's the anointing that they sense, not necessarily the gifting. It's the anointing because it's that that we need more than anything. Do you know what I need more than anything as a pastor or a preacher because I preach this message to myself hundreds of times over these six weeks? is God, don't give me any more new ideas. God, don't, don't give me, don't make me a better preacher, Lord. God, give me the anointing, give me the anointing that, 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 that when you preach, it breaks the power of sin in people's lives, that it lifts people out of their, their dungeons and the, the, the dark places that they're in because it's the anointing that we need more than anything. Everything else is helpful, but it's not essential. And so we come this morning, and I know some people will be, oh, well, we didn't know we're coming to church for this this morning, but listen, we've got to preach it, because there were so many people who were still living as captives, so many people still living as prisoners, so many people like Hezekiah when he prays and he says, my people are living under a burden. Who's going to lift the burden? See, we as churches, 
this lady says, we're being entertained by gifting, but we're not being changed by anointing. Because the anointing causes us to have an understanding of spiritual realities through the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit. The challenge that there were, that thought that God use me, use me God. Not that it would make me great, not that it would be me on display God, but it would be you on display God. That everything that happens is because of you. You see the anointing on us as the Holy Spirit works through us and will see God use us. And will we be amazed simply by what God does in us. In Isaiah 61, he speaks of what the Messiah will do in the power of the anointing as he heals, sets free, releases, and preaches. You know, the next verses after, they speak of what God's people will do when he anoints them. Because verse four says this, they will rebuild the ancient ruins Restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. God has declared in Isaiah 61 what his son will do. In the next verses, he declares what his church will do. And he says, this is you and me under the power of the anointing, not the power of the gifting or the talent, not those powers, but the power of the anointing that senses such a burden that we need to see people set free by the power of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it tells us three things that God loves to rebuild. And he's not talking about rebuilding cities here. He's talking about rebuilding people's lives. He said the vision of our church to build. We want to see God rebuild people's lives as he takes the burden and lifts the yoke. The second thing we see is this, is God loves to restore. To restore what? To restore broken marriages, broken relationships. Those people who have wandered away, God's plan is to restore them. And then the third thing we see is God loves to renew. Maybe we have lost that spark. Maybe we have lost that passion within us. Maybe we have lost that desire and said, do you know what? I don't really have anything to offer. You know, the New Testament thought of the anointing is this, is every single one of us has it. Every single one of us. I, I'm fed up of hearing about a certain select few people who have the anointing. And it's only those people that can do it. Listen, everybody has an anointing from God. It says he has set us apart in Corinthians. He has anointed us. Every single one of us is set apart to do something for God. It's not a special few. We're not under the Old Testament like that anymore. We're under the New Testament where every single person in here has an anointing from God. God to do something in the power of his Holy Spirit and we come and we see this my final few minutes God wants to use people to rebuild and restore things that are broken down and ruined under the empowerment of the Spirit the ministry of the Messiah God's people will be rebuilders through the anointing he says listen I, I want us to get back to what God intended the church to be, a church of power, a church that, that, that's simply full of his spirit, moving in his spirit, that when people come in and they, they, they sense the anointing that is in this place, they want what we have got 
They want that because we have that anointing from him because we are blessed and that anointing goes out, not as something that floats above us that we try and catch, not something that draws attention to ourselves, but something that draws attention to God and says these people have been changed by God. I want what they have got. And we direct people to that. You see, the anointing this morning will do this. Because often, excuse me, often when we sense we are filled with the Spirit, we, we, people sometimes tend to do different things. And I tell you, there are three things that will happen when you are filled with the anointing, when you carry the burden of that. The first is this. You'll seek God more through his word. The second thing is this. You'll love God more through your worship. The third thing is this. You'll ask God for more through your prayers. The anointing is not something that just descends upon us as we worship, but when the word comes on, we maybe get up, go out, get a drink of water and say, well, that's not for me now. I'm just here for the worship, for the anointing. Listen, the anointing causes us to love the word more. It causes us to love worship more and it causes us to pray more. That's the burden that God places in us as the, as the, as the anointing. Our church is a place where lives are restored, rebuilt and renewed. God uses us and through other things are helpful. The anointing is absolutely essential above everything else. Let's stand to our feet this morning just as we come to pray. Let's take a moment. Let's not get distracted by what's going on around. Let's take a moment because this is a word for everybody because the anointing falls under everybody this morning. It's within everybody. Let's just close our eyes, begin to pray, but begin to open your heart to simply say, God, what is it do you want to do in me today? God, how is it you want to change me today? God, what burden today do you want to lift from me today? Because God is in the business of lifting burdens and breaking yokes. And if you've come in here this morning and you feel the weight of the world upon your shoulders, if you feel that there's that obligation of carrying that yoke upon your neck of whatever it is that's going on in your life, God wants to tell you this morning, he will lift that burden and break that yoke from you today. He will take it away today, not in your strength, but in and by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. And he's lifting those burdens now. He's taking them away this morning as those, those weights that people are carrying in their lives and upon their shoulders. God is lifting them this morning. It's the purpose of why he sent his son to set you free this morning, to no longer that you would be a captive, to no longer that you would be a prisoner, that you would know freedom this morning. And it's why Jesus came. And Father, we come in the prayer of our hearts today from us up here on the platform to those that are down there, Father, listening. We stand equally today, Father God, and simply say, God, would you fill us with your spirit and anoint us that this church would become a place, God, Father, where burdens are lifted, yokes are broken, people are delivered, God, people are healed and all because of your anointing, not because of our gifting, 
but all because of your anointing. Let your Holy Spirit rise up within each of us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.